This episode is brought to you by the Accountability Club. And listen up because we have a few changes we know you're going to like. Are you struggling to find time to work on your business and need some accountability? The Accountability Club is a space for weight-inclusive innovators to dedicate time each month to work on their business. In this space, you'll be in a supportive community with like-minded professionals completing those $1,000 tasks that keep falling to the back burner and are keeping you from leveling up in your business. Registration is now open for our first quarter of the year in 2024. That cohort you're going to want to join. It is January, February, and March. So come do the work with three monthly co-working sessions, get support with one monthly group business coaching session, and be in community with other business owners through our private Slack channel and weekly check-ins. And update, we are changing the Accountability Club membership to an inclusive tiered pricing structure. No gatekeeping of business education and support over here. Choose from one of the four options that works best for you and your business. Head on over to weightinclusiveinnovators.com slash accountability dash club to register today. We're in this together to make weight inclusive care more accessible and it starts with our businesses. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it, talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we're on a mission to bring business education to other weight inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. Today, we're going to be continuing the conversation about hiring your first clinician. It has been a while since our first two parts of this conversation, and today we are going to be chatting about what to do now that your clinician is actually hired. But before we dive into today's episode, we're going to share our report for the last week. Hannah, kick us off. I feel like we need a theme song for the report, like a... I don't know, a little, a little diddly, a little, anyway, jingle. a little jingle. Well, we'll work on it. 2024. Um, okay. So my report, what I'm reading, I drove through Mexico with my partner and our two dogs, 17 hours, no, 12 hours, 12 hours over Thanksgiving weekend. It was great. It sounds horrible, but it was awesome. It was really nice. Mexico is fucking beautiful. And so while we were in the car, we were reading the nightingale per your recommendation it's very good. It's like a World War II story. I love historical fiction. Who narrates The Nightingale? Do you know? Is it a good narrator at least? I think so. Okay. I don't know who it is, but pretty decent. Okay. Because it was Why? that book. I don't know. I was just that book was magical to read. And so I was like, if they chose a narrator that didn't do it justice, uh, I'd be real sad. I feel like the narrator's doing a good job. And that's part of the the magicalness, like with the different voices and how the how the stories presented like it's good no complaints are you gonna finish the last five hours of it on your drive to mexico city hell yeah and actually update update so on our way to mexico city we're actually gonna stop in guadalajara now (gasps) yes so oh my god i'm so jealous okay you know the first time that i was supposed to go to mex the first time that i went to mexico city i was actually supposed to be going to guadalajara and i have Uh yet actually go 
I know I haven't been take all the notes because it's on my list. I will. I will keep you updated. Um, super excited. So, because it's like on the way anyway. So we're going to stop, stop in, but that drive is four or five hours. So we will definitely be listening to the nightingale. Yes. Okay. Eating. I am eating all the fucking Mexican food I can. It's amazing. Tacos, sopes, tosada, ceviche. Everything's so good. Everything's so inexpensive. Um, Hold on. We haven't updated the people. Where in the world is Hannah Turnbull right now? (laughs) Obviously, you're in Mexico. You're continuing on your Mexico trip, but you're in a new spot. Yes, I'm in a new spot. I am in San Pancho, um, which is next to Sayulita. It's southern Mexico on the west coast, the Pacific. Right? Yes. Okay, great. (laughs) Geography is not my strong suit. And we've been here since we got here Saturday. It's been great. It's beautiful. It's another beach, but it's totally different. It's like jungly beach. It's it's wonderful. And we're 10 minutes from the beach walking. So before we were like 30 seconds from the beach walking, but we were in like this gated community and this private beach. This we're like 10 minutes from walking into downtown. We like cross this bridge, don't have to go on any roads. And then we're down in the like cute walking area. You walk through that and you get on the beach. It's awesome. It's a, it's a lot more people around and people to connect with, which is really nice. Cause I was feeling a little isolated in San Carlos, even though it was really nice. I'm like, we did get out a lot, but it's not the same as just like walking out the front door. Cause you have 30 minutes to go into town and like, you can do that. You don't have to get in the car. So it's really wonderful. Um, yes, that's where in the world Hannah Turnbull is right now. I love it. I'm playing all of these are related to Mexico guys. Nobody's surprised. Um, I'm playing with the surfboard. I got a surf lesson on Sunday and it was great. It gave me a ton of confidence. We went to this beach that was like 30 minutes away with the smallest waves ever. I stood up a few times. I was like, fuck yeah. And then I decided it was time to get in with the, with the big big boys surfing. And so we went to Sailita and we tried to surf in San Pancho and the waves are fucking huge. And so I just got totally destroyed the entire time. Like <laughs> it's one of those things kind of like when you ski initiation, you just fucking get in the water and you try and you're just going to get turned around like you're in a washing machine by the waves. And so I definitely, it was really funny. The first day that we did that, I had water dripping out of my nose, like Oh God! It was like stuck in all the cavities in my brain, I guess, and my face. And so I would just sit there and I was like laying in bed reading and it was just like drip, drip. Like it wasn't snot. It was water. So that's how my time in the water is going. But I'm playing. I'm having fun. I'm going to try surfing again tomorrow for the fourth time. I'm taking a two day break because it actually made me very dizzy as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just playing in the water, not thinking about the sharks that are in there. Yeah. I'm obsessing Mexico. Obviously, I... It is just such a wonderful place, truly. Every city is so different. It makes me kind of sad that most of my interaction with Mexico was through resorts um, growing up. And I feel like that's where a lot of us stop. Of like, I'm going to go to Cancun. I'm going to go to Cabo and go to a resort. It does not represent Mexico at all, which is why I love that we want an admincation there. We hosted a group admincation there. You have a trip for the eating expedition coming up there to like break those stereotypes and those barriers of what Mexico is and really show people what it's like. And I love that because it's such a beautiful, wonderful country. Truly. I'm obsessed. Obsessed. Recommending. I am recommending everybody if you can. I know this is a privilege, but taking the last week of the year off or doing a shortened week because it is the most unproductive week of the year. Your clients are probably going to cancel on you. You'll have very few. So you might as well enjoy it. And I 
And the reason I'm recommending it is because I've had this advice told to me over the last seven years of this, and I've never truly done it. Like I quote unquote kind of did it last year, but I still got into my email and still did a few admin things. I'm not doing that this year. I'm fully shutting off. And if you can, I would like you to as well. I'm recommending it, recommending it from your business auntie. And talking shop, I am talking to Morgan about my website and my new offerings. I really need to get my ass into gear. I feel like I've said this on the podcast a few times now that we're like working on stuff. You updated my website. It's looking great. But for my new offerings, they need like their own pages and things, which means I need to have the content done and the offerings ready. And I just haven't been able to prioritize it. But that is going to kind of be my next prioritization after we're doing our push with Weight Inclusive Innovators and the Accountability. Build Club is like getting my ass into gear for that. So that's on my mind a lot. I'm talking shop about it. It's fun. Morgan and I get to collaborate even more. It's great. Not to be not to be confused with your Nourish Colorado website that Amy Haneke just did. This is your values driven group website. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm doing the fucking most right now and I feel it. And I was talking about in the accountability club how one thing always has to go on the back burner. And you've talked about this with your business oh, coach yeah. of the levers. And I'm realizing I I slowed down the lever on the values driven group and that's okay. It needed to happen. And now I'm going to crank it up a little bit. Love it. Well, I'm very excited your report. to talk to you about values driven group website. I'm ready to get it. Like, I mean, the new homepage is up and running, but I'm ready to get all your offers built out. to like reignite that spark into getting those. And because the offers that you're planning, people just freaking need them. So I'm ready for them to be built. <laughs> that's what's motivating me as well. Like I want to keep doing the one-on-one and I'm totally setting boundaries with myself around capacity. I'm only going to do seven spots a week and whittle it down. I think as I can serve people more, cause I just want to be able to serve more people. It's kind of like with nourished when I started as a solo clinician and then built a group because there's just not enough of me to go around. It's the same with values driven group. And I, I never not want to do one-on-one, but there's only so much limited time for that. So I want to have different price points for things so people can access me. I'd love to have some passive income that I know will still help people with webinars and things. So it's coming, coming at you soon. Report time from Morgan. Let's go. Report time. Okay. I am doing the most with reading right now, which is wild. I'm reading three books right now. Oh, I'm not surprised. Never been a read more than one book at a time kind of girl. No, because I can't keep things straight. And so, Okay. (laughs) okay, I take that back. Growing up until 2023, I've never once read a like two books at the same time. 2023 changed that a little bit because I was like introduced to audiobooks. And so I would usually do some combination of like a fiction book and a nonfiction book. And that was really great. I I I don't know how I feel about it. I'm clearly doing it, but I also think it's just like a little bit of like mood reading. So just depending on what I'm in the mood for. Anyway. Uh-huh. So I just finished listening to The Women and Me, which is Britney Spears's memoir. I did not care for it. It's, oh, say more. I, I've just read some really solid memoirs and it like didn't go very deep. It like was kind of scattered. It wasn't read by her, which I understand that she put a boundary around that for a reason, but I just really appreciate biographies that are or autobiographies or memoirs that are read by the author. Um, it it just it almost seemed like she didn't even write it. And I think there's probably a little hesitation from me just because she was in the conservatorship for so long that I'm wondering if she had like a ghostwriter 
help her with it. I don't know. It just, it just could be. wasn't my vibe. Yeah. That's so. fair. That's an honest, honest review. Yep. I am physically reading I have a physical book. I'm physically reading lessons in chemistry, which has been kind of like all the craze this year. They just turned it into a uh, TV show. So I'm reading it because I also really want to watch a TV show. I've seen a couple clips on TikTok and think that I would really like the show. And I'm really loving the book so far. I love and that then- you do that, by the way. That's not the first time that you've done that where you're like, I'm going to read the book and then I'm going to watch the show. Oh, yeah. I think that's smart. Yeah. It's nice because then one of my one of my favorite things about reading books that have already been turned into shows or movies is that they've already done the casting. So I'm able to envision these people now in the book. I do really well with like the visualization piece of it. And so that's been really nice. Love it. And then I am listening to uh, Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. It is uh, narrated by Meryl Streep. And that's the only reason I'm listening to it. <laughs> oh, cool. I was I was like, this sounds random. What is this? It book? is. Now it makes so, more sense. Oh, Ann Patchett also Street. wrote. Oh, my God. Me too. Ann Patchett also wrote The Dutch House. And the only reason I listened to that one was because Tom Hanks narrated it. And like the book itself was like, it was a good book, but I loved that Tom Hanks narrated it. And so that's kind of what I'm doing with Tom Lake, too. How did you find this book? Is this one of the book club books or no? No. I don't know how I found this. Probably TikTok, honestly. We love TikTok for some recommendations. Yep. I am eating Harissa braised chickpeas. Oh, yum. So random. My sister-in-law made this recipe like two weeks ago, and I have a friend coming over tomorrow to help me hang a TV on the wall. And I told him that in exchange for helping me hang it, I would make us dinner and I want to try to cook this myself. So that's what I'm making for dinner tomorrow. And I hope Amazing. it turns out as good as my sister-in-law does. Makes it. Also, so excited for your Samsung going up on the wall. <laughs> I know. On my obsessed. So Don't worry. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Cool. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to blow it. <laughs> I am playing by doing a paint by sticker, which I know I've talked on here before, but I got two holiday ones and so those have been really fun oh i want one i need send me the link i will there so i've this is so so i don't i was gonna say so bad it's really not that bad i freaking love these things i've made it through all of the adult ones that they offer and so now i'm dabbling in like the kids ones uh cute but i they're they're like my it's like my nighttime wind down of listening to an audiobook while doing one or two paint by sticker pages Oh, I like that. And it's not messy. This is the thing with creative stuff for me. I don't like mess. Mm -hmm. I hate getting things all over my hands and having to wash them. I even Mm -hmm. hate peeling oranges, like simple things like that, because it gets under my nails. Like, so that's why I'm very drawn to this paint by the number of like something creative. That's not a mess. Yeah. I'll send it to you. We'll link it in the show notes. There's two holiday ones. Um, we'll, We'll link those. Amazing. I am currently obsessing with my Fenty Beauty lip tint. It's so oh. random. <laughs> okay. So I went in to Sephora trying to find or trying to get a replacement for my all-time favorite Clinique lipstick. It's like this pink color. It's like my signature color. I freaking love it. And I take it up to someone. And I'm like, hey, I need one of these. And they don't sell Clinique at Sephora. Should have known that. Didn't know that. Womp womp. And I was like, okay, well, I'm open to trying something new. Uh, what do you have in mind? I really like the color that I usually wear. 
And she pulled out this color and it's red. And I'm, I don't wear red. I have enough redness to my skin tone. I don't need to add red to my lips too. But she was like, it looks like as if you just drink a red wine, like that kind of tint. And I was like, sure, why not? Let's try this. <laughs> it has become my favorite lip tint. I freaking love it. It stays on my lips so long. It adds such a nice little color to it. I feel like it's so fun, like going outside of my comfort zone with a new lipstick and it just like adds a little pizzazz to my life. So I'm very much obsessed with that. I think red is underrated and I think it's underrated for you. You were wearing this awesome pink and red jacket at wind. I think it was. And I saw pictures of you and I was like, (laughs) damn, red looks good on you. So thank you. I've had a couple people tell me that. And I just, I've avoided red since like seventh grade, because I probably read some Cosmo article that if you think you have red skin, you need to not wear red. And my skin Ugh. is just like naturally more like rosy. Um, so yeah, we're we're in the era of challenging that and I'm here for it. Yeah, fucking Cosmo probably fucked us up in so many ways. Ugh. Yeah. I'm also obsessing. Okay. <laughs> I'm not obsessing about it yet because I haven't, I feel like I haven't used it to its full functionality But for Black Friday, I got a Samsung Frame TV to use as a second monitor. And people have been flooding my DMs telling me that I it is going to change my life. And I like don't want it to. I don't want to give it that power. (laughs) (laughs) But I think once it's hung, like there's just certain things that I'm going to like really enjoy about it. And so I'm like gearing up to become obsessed with that. As someone who has a Samsung Frame TV that I bought two or three years ago now because it was like my quarterly reward to myself for some reason because I was doing that for a while and it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I needed a TV, quote unquote, needed a TV. Nobody needs a TV. I wanted it and I wanted it to look beautiful and like clean. It is nice. It is nice to not have all the wires. It You can make it look like a portrait. It's great. Yep. 10 out of 10. Yep. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to get it hung tomorrow. I'll be sure to Yay. share an update. I am recommending that you, yes, you, come to Mexico with me in June. Do for it. For my eating expedition to Mexico City and Coatepec. Three of the spots are filled. I have five spots left. It is uh, just going to be the trip of a lifetime. So if you are curious about Mexico outside of resorts, yes, this is your chance to dip your toe in the water and become as obsessed with Mexico as me and Hannah. Yes. I just cannot reiterate again that Mexico is so beautiful. There's so much to offer. Mexico City is magical. Um, The other places you're going are really awesome as well. And this this will be the way that you can have an entry into Mexico outside of the resorts. I'm also recommending that. I'm changing my R. Thank you. And then Talking Shop, tomorrow is a super big day for me. I am hosting a email marketing masterclass. Woo! The reason that this is happening is because I really want to get these lessons up for Weight Inclusive Business Academy and realized I needed a hard deadline. So I decided to offer the lessons for free for people who attended live. And then anyone who's registered gets 50% off once the lessons are actually available as like a thank you for registering. Um cool. I'm I'm really excited about that. I I re- I've really liked the structure of this, and so I think I'm going to continue to do some of these little master classes um, as a way to record 
the lessons for Weight Inclusive Business Academy because it just feels like some extra accountability with it. Yeah. And then people are watching you. So you like, you're a different level of on. It's awesome. Yeah. And then tomorrow is also a huge milestone because five years ago in 2018, on December 1st, I officially decided to niche down to working exclusively with weight inclusive business owners for my design studio. I rebranded and launched on December 1st of 2018, which means that tomorrow my design studio turns five years old. Wow. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I think I did the the number crunching and I've worked with over 55 clinicians in the last five years with branding, marketing, and web design. And like to know that I've gotten to support these clinicians and impact their businesses and their online presence, like just feels magical to me. Um, That is very cool. And those numbers track with doing about 10, probably like five to 15 a year, depending on when you were part-time or full-time? Yeah. So the first two years, so um, up until December of 2020, so the first two years of running this, I had a full-time job. And so this was very, very part-time. And then, yeah, the last three years have been full-time. Very cool. Very happy for you. Keep it on going. Thank you. Thank you. You ready to dive into today's episode? Let's do it. Alrighty, today we are tackling part three of hiring your first clinician. So we have talked about in the in the last part, we talked about hiring them, getting them onboarded, getting their insurance contract set up, everything needed up until day one. Today we are going to dive in specifically to the first 90 days that they're actually hired and then chat a little bit about their first year as well. And by Ooh. we, I mean Hannah. I will be asking questions. <laughs> Incredible. We love it. We'll also link the first two episodes of this series in the show notes in case you missed those. You can listen to them first. So you're kind of like caught up, but also each of these individually stand and are helpful. So you aren't missing anything, but if you want the whole picture, go revisit those too. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about day one. They are onboarded. They are hired. They have insurance contracts in place or they're at least working on it. And they are ready to see their first clients. Ah, this is the most exciting time to me. It's like all the pieces are in place. The foundation is built. And now it's ready to just build the thing. I love this time. I think this is probably also the onboarded clinician's favorite time too. Because now they're actually getting to like do the work. Yes. And before they do the work, the number one place that I always start with people and I always recommend people start is setting expectations on all sides because someone's not going to be ready day one with a 20 to 25 client caseload. That would be bananas and also very overwhelming. And so when I say setting expectations, there's expectations you as the new group practice owner, um, knowing that you can't expect this person to see 20 clients um, you know that the process is going to take X amount of time. And then you're also relaying and coaching the person through it because this time is also very unstable for people, especially if they are leaving a full-time job or they're expecting to build and work up to full-time with you. There has to be a consensual process that happens where you're letting them know, like, totally going to work you up there. It's going to take X amount of time. And so the amount of time based on working with other group practice owners in my own experience 
is anywhere from 30 to 90 days where somebody's really getting traction and building their caseload. I'm going to put a little star there because this has been challenged recently. Um, in the Q3 of this year, we were very freaking slow. And so people that I hired in that time because of the economy, things out of our control, their caseloads are taking longer. And that's just conversations when those things happen that you have to have with your team and help them through that time. But usually by 90 days, having at least 75% full, as long as all is going well, is pretty standard. So what does that conversation look like? Do you usually let them know like, hey, this usually takes 30 to 60 days. How do you support them in the meantime? Where are some of these anomalies? Like walk us through what that conversation looks like. Yes. So I really start that conversation in the interview process because I want people to be fully informed and know how it's going to go so that they can do things to take care of themselves. Um, Sometimes people taper down at their full-time job and work part-time while they're building. Sometimes people pick up another job at like a coffee shop or babysitting or something or dog sitting to just like help them through. Um, But I really want them to be able to take care of themselves in that time and not give a false a false picture of what it's going to look like. And so that's happening before they even accept the job to understand, but I'm reiterating it, normalizing it for them as the weeks go on. And maybe they have a handful of clients and they might start panicking a little. Um, You can't have the conversation enough of like, this is normal. This is okay. We're going to try to get you more discovery calls. I like to give people other things to do in that time. So I usually pay them for a few marketing hours because I also want them to like be connected in the community. And we know that the most referrals come from those direct client clinician or clinician relationships. Um, We also like jack up our Google ads and things like that to get more clients in the door too. So it's kind of like a a multi-effort on setting expectations, reminding the clinician of the expectations, and then the thing that the group practice owner needs to do. Yeah. And I love that you separated it out between like, there's expectations, not only for the clinician that's being brought on that are going to be set by you, but there's also going to be a shift in expectations as you, the business owner. And so I want to visit each of those separately because I think they can look very different. And so which one do you want to start with? Let's talk about the group practice owner, because I think a lot of us want efficiency and the first year, it just isn't efficient at all. And you have to really be focused on the long game. So we're talking about the first 90 days right now in, you can expect that two to five discovery calls a week. Sometimes you'll have a week with no discovery calls if there's like a holiday or a weird slump or like a time where a lot of people are on vacation because it's summer. And so having that expectation and not getting in your head or in the weeds about it, that's what you need to set for yourself of like, this is normal. It's going to take 30, 60, 90 days for somebody to get a full caseload. Also expectation setting for the group practice owner. It's important to know that this person is probably starting two new jobs. One is being at an outpatient practice and the other could be they're also learning how to be an eating disorder dietitian. Maybe this is their first time in that space or eating disorder clinician or whatever clinician type that you offer or a specialty. If they've not done that work before and they're learning, they're probably going to blow through a few more clients as they're gaining confidence and traction in their work. And that's just part of it. Everybody goes through that. Um, We know that Clinicians who have been doing the work longer retain clients more because they know the questions to ask. They know how to build rapport. They know how to actually help. Um, So people are not going to be efficient. 
in the first 90 days, even up to a year. And that's just part of it. You have to go through it. I know there's fears around like, what is this going to set for our reputation and things like that. But that's where supervision, making sure people are trained, all that stuff. That's what you do. And then you have to be able to tolerate that this is someone in the process going through it. Those are the main expectations for the group practice owner to remind themselves that this is going to happen. So knowing that the first year might be a wash to not have high expectations. Um, I know you had mentioned helping them supplement their income with marketing hours. I feel like that's probably, did you do that when you first started or is that now like as you've gotten bigger? Good question. Good question. A lot of what I'm speaking to right now is like keeping the context of MI group practice. We are a 10 person team. And so we do have a little bit more resources, more cushion, all that stuff. So in the beginning, when I was super scrappy, I couldn't pay people for more marketing time. And that was a lot more of my time and my resources as an individual to help this person build versus having the resources to be able to pay somebody to help themselves build. So if you're somebody hiring your first employee, that might not be accessible to you. Or you might say, I can do this for four weeks, two hours a week. I'm willing to part with this cost and give this person something to do. Or you as the business owner are going to have to take on that marketing for them and reaching out to people that are already in your network to let them know that you have a clinician or maybe do, I'm envisioning like a, a coffee chat where like you cover the cost of like you, the person you're meeting with, and your clinician. So they can meet with these other people as well and have that nice warm handoff. Absolutely. Okay. And then you mentioned supervision. Do you provide supervision for your new hires? Good question. I, at this stage, do not. I don't do any supervision at my practice. I am strictly the visionary. I do case consult with my team in a team meeting. But For my people joining the practice, they do have supervision from a supervisor that's in-house. And what we kind of recommend for the first year is that they see their supervisor weekly. And we think that, again, like I said, somebody starting a new position as an employee, and they're also being an outpatient clinician. It's two different things, and they need a lot of support in that transition because it's just a different world in many different ways. So that's why weekly is a good cadence. Um, After the first 90 days, if someone's has eating disorder experience and they're super strong clinicians. We let them drop down to every other week, but a lot of people really like to see their supervisor weekly and get that support for the first year. So um, we used to offer it as a, this is included as a perk of employment and we didn't pay for it because for a supervisor, that's 130 to $200 an hour. And so we instead were paying the supervisor to do that, but now we pay the supervisor and we pay the employee. Again, that has been recent in us having the resources to do that. But I know that's not always doable. If that is the case for you, you can't make supervision mandatory. And if you do make it mandatory, you do have to pay for them to attend. Um, So yeah, it gets a little sticky. So I'm just, I'm like trying to put myself in the shoes of like moving from a solo practice to hiring my first person where I've probably seen 20 clients a week. I've done my own marketing. It's been probably pretty flexible. And now you have this whole other person to not only like care for, but like you're having to market them. You're having to get them set up in all of your systems. You're having to do supervision. You're having to teach them like the standard operating procedures of like documentation, of billing, of care coordination, all of this. There's a lot of handholding, it seems, that goes along with all of that. And so I am, how do you coach clinicians the, how do you coach the business owner through 
navigating this new schedule for them? Like, what does that schedule shift look like? Good question. So before anybody hires at their group and they work with me or we have a conversation, I always say you have to be willing to be uncomfortable for a bit. You're either going to be the uncomfortable of you're seeing a full caseload and doing all this, or you're going to be in the discomfort of dropping your caseload. So you have time to do all this and you might be financially a little bit less comfortable than you were knowing that the ROI of onboarding your person, getting them going, helping that having them help replace some of your revenue for the company is going to pay off. So it really just depends on what somebody's risk tolerance is. If they're more in the end, I know for me when I was solo, because I had bills to pay, like I freaking bootstrapped it. And I would, I was still seeing 30 clients a week onboarding my first person and like knew it wasn't sustainable, but did it like Sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to lean into the gritty person who might be working a few more hours and like know that's not sustainable. And then as soon as you can drop your caseload, you do it. But if you have the capability to take a pay cut for a minute so that you can get this person situated, probably better for your mental health, to be honest. But I understand. Like I said, I had to do the, the former. If you had to put a number on it, How many additional hours a week do you think a business owner would have to add to their schedule in order to adequately provide support for a new hire? Ooh, in the first 90 days, probably at least 10. And the reason I say 10 is probably a few hours of face-to-face with the person, um, a couple hours of like answering texts, emails, sending over resources as a follow-up, things like that. And then also just doing the admin work and getting your system set up to support a second clinician in that, that's also time spent doing it. So I'd say 10 to 15 hours a week in the first 30 days, for sure. First 90 days, probably at least 10. Um, and then the hopes is that it's closer to five. And that's where, you know, when you bring somebody on for every two patients that they see, you should be able to drop your caseload by one. And that also will give you your time back for getting to support them and not running yourself into the ground because you were already working full-time when it was just you seeing that caseload. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good metric to have. Mm -hmm. I am also thinking as someone who like got thrown into working at an eating disorder treatment center and I needed a lot of support kind of going into it. I imagine it's probably pretty similar to how like a new hire would have. And so how do you suggest setting boundaries with this new hire around your availability to support them? Because I mean, you and I are huge on like time blocking, right? Like it doesn't make sense to switch our hats back and forth. And you're now adding another hat in the mix. And so what is like an ideal boundary setting of support? Uh, I feel like you asked the best questions and I'm giggling because I know many group practice owners are fucking cringing right now if they've been through this process because you just spread yourself out way too much at first where you're like, I'm available, reach me, text me, call me. And it's really partially people pleasing. I've been here. Me, I'm speaking to all of this from my own experience. So if you're feeling called out, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling me out. Um, it's you want to be available. You want to be needed. You want to like have your person be working for you for a reason, right? What is the reason they're not going to go out on their own? It's all scarcity mindset. Right. And so if you can get ahead of that, that's awesome. I'm a firm believer. People have to go through that shit. And then they realize it's not sustainable. They start to feel like their boundaries are crossed. They're very resentful. And then they reestablish boundaries. And that's the leadership work. And that's my favorite part of this is like 
having those hard conversations, radical candor, leading your team so that they also see you and see your evolution. Cause that's what you're going to continue to do as you add more people to your team, as you grow as a leader, as you evolve. And that means reestablishing boundaries and also teaching your team how to have boundaries. So um, people tend to go into the people pleasing mode, make themselves super available. And there's such a line because you really don't need to get many of the texts after hours that you do get from somebody and coaching somebody in how to utilize you as a leader, as a supervisor is part of the dance because you're also dealing with another person who has feelings and thoughts and emotions and you don't want to do it in a hurtful way of like do not talk to me after 8 p.m um you can say for me to be most effective and support you i think we should keep communication in our email so we can both shut off at the end of the day if there is something that's an emergency absolutely text me let's talk about what an emergency means it's a lot of education support checking in I love that. And as you're even saying that, I am like, I've literally had uh, folks that have been part of my business that I'm like, call me, beat me when you want to reach me all the time. Like, I'm here, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. And then, yeah, it's like a, an eight o'clock text where it's like they're working, which is great. Like, I work at eight o'clock sometimes too. Um, and I was, and I'm like out to dinner with friends and I'm like, I didn't need this in a text message right now. And so uh-huh. yeah, I think I, you have to kind of like pendulum swing one way uh-huh. to get back to equilibrium and like experience what that feels like first. 1000%. Call me, beat me if you want to reach me until I'm resentful at 8 p.m. because I'm trying to have dinner with my friends and I also want you to be living your life. Let's reestablish boundaries. <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay. Before we switch over to expectations to give to your new hire, is there anything else that you want to mention about what you would tell a business owner who's hiring a clinician for the first time in relation to those first 90 days? One year? Yeah. I think I want to tell the person who just hired their first clinician who's going to start seeing clients is this is the part where you go from the logistical setup of the business of getting insurance contracts set up, get the person uploaded into the EHR. This is where it turns into the leadership and supervisory part. Those are two different things. And I think that role is eventually important to separate. You got to wear both of those hats for a while. It's sticky. You got to choose like the moments when it's important to support the clinician in the clinical work, even if it means something for your business that isn't a desirable outcome for you. And then you have to know the times of when you're being their employer. And it's two different hats. So I want them to have that perspective going in. I also think before we go into expectations for the clinician is it's very important that the group practice owner is clear on their own expectations and knowing the process outside of the clinician so that there's not resentment or pressure or micromanaging that could come up as a way to try to control the situation. So really thinking through and maybe re-listening to the part that I just talked about, about what you can expect as the group practice owner. And this is the leadership stuff. Like you have to be very confident and settled in that so that you can best support this person in a helpful way. And that means, you knowing the expectation and helping them know it and coaching them through it. Amazing. Let's pivot to uh, expectation setting for your new hire, for the new clinician that has joined your team. And I'm going to start with something that we've talked about so much in this episode and past episodes, and that is how to support them 
financially through a means of them working another job while onboarding. What is that balance? What do you usually recommend? How are you, how do you make sure that they still have the availability needed in order to see clients? Yes. A lot of it's education. Well, first of all, we start with caring. Um, We have conversations with our people of like, hey, I want to make sure that you feel good, that this isn't stressful in the onboarding. Like, what can I do to help you in your situation? If anything, what do you need to do to take care of yourself? What I can offer for help is suggestions or XYZ. I can give you some marketing hours, but here's what other people have done in the past. Those kind of education points where we're talking about like getting a part-time job, getting a really flexible job that can be done in different hours, getting a job that's easy to leave because we will fill you up. It's just a matter of time. And then getting a job that maybe is in hours that aren't the most desirable to clients. So a lot of clients like afternoons and evenings to start, right? Obviously, we're in a remote world now where people are more open during the day, which is really nice. Um, but overall, we try to coach the clinician to if they need to have another job during like to see if they can work those hours in less desirable spots for clients and keeping that time open. And then we also help them understand like there will be a leaping point where either you're doing the most or you're going to do a little bit less and leave your job early so that you have the space to build up to full time. It's just whatever their comfort is. Um, So that's kind of how we help them take care of themselves. So giving them suggestions or talking through like what is their plan and what's going to happen at each of the different phases when they're going to leap, all that good stuff. I imagine another piece of this like timing, availability, schedule is this isn't like a nine to five for them. They're not just like showing up seeing the client and then they're done, right? Like they need to manage their clients and their EHR. They need to do billing. They need to keep track of all the note taking. Um, and there's they need to do some marketing. And there's just like other pieces with that too. So how do you uh, support them through that process as well? Especially because that stuff is probably all very new and foreign to them as uh-huh. well. Yep. So I think what's important with group practice, one, everybody's group practice is going to look so different. Like what people have their clinicians do is going to look different than mine. My rule of thumb for my team is I want them to feel like a clinician. So I really don't have them do a ton of bill. They don't do anything with billing. The only thing they need Mm. to do is make sure the correct diagnosis is in there and like the appointment type. Outside of that, we have a billing department that does it. Um, but I know like some other group practices that are smaller, like do have their person do the billing part or um, X, Y, Z. And then the marketing piece, I offer that as a way for people if they want to be connected in the community and they want to do a little outreach and a little bit of hours while they're building their caseload. But most people want to just do the client work, which I understand. They probably have their own practice if they liked that stuff a lot. But I do like to offer it in the beginning just to give them something if they want to work before their caseload is full. Um, but it's no expectation to do marketing. People don't have to, they will eventually fill up, but if they want to kind of help bump up the process and work in the meantime, that's where we offer that. Um, where people can struggle and where I like to get proactively ahead of is spending a ton of time doing admin emails, all that kind of stuff. So we really train people to be efficient. So what that looks like is A clinical hour is 53 minutes. So that is the time somebody should spend in session with a client. That's when we can bill um, visits for insurance for four units, which means we get paid for the whole hour. That extra seven minutes, they have to do their chart note. Um, We have our chart note set up to take less than five minutes. 
really less than three minutes, but I like to just say five for realistic distractions and things. Um, And then we also pay people for admin time prorated based on the amount of clinical work they do for emails and care coordination. We also help educate people if they're doing a ton of care coordination and like having to go to client sessions with their therapist and things that are outside of the normal care coordinating, we will bill the patient for it. And that clinician will get paid for that time because at that point it's more clinical work, right? Um, So we do a lot of education around like, what is normal care coordinating? What is normal admin work? What are the expectations for time spent doing these things? And let's like help them buffer. One example is discovery calls. We've all been on a discovery call that was supposed to be 10 minutes that ended up being an hour and we're super resentful, right? Because we had plans for happy hour with our friend after. And so you kind of have to go through that and then reel it in. But we do try to proactively get on the other side of that with people. Sweet. That's some solid expectation setting with the clinician. And then I think the last thing that come that might come up with clinicians and setting expectations is if they are, I mean, I was gonna say if they're new to the eating disorder space or honestly just new to being an outpatient clinician, how do you handle that continued education with them? Yeah. Good question. So we do a lot of it in our training and onboarding, which I believe I talked about last episode, um, but we want it to be kind of built into their day-to-day. We don't pay for that time right now, but we do strongly encourage and through supervision, support them in doing follow-up things for their continued learning. That's what we all need to do as humans. And so, you know, we provide CEUs, we have a membership for EDRD Pro um, for our team, for them to reference. And Basically, as they have different cases with different situations, we can point them to different resources and we provide those resources and then we help them understand part of the role and part of doing this work, whether you're with us or you leave one day is staying on top of changes and educating yourself. So we're very like knowledge focused organization where we want people to want to learn and grow. Anything else that you would recommend when it comes to expectation setting or how to support your new hire? I think one of the pieces we talk about a lot is scheduling folks and an expectation of like getting people in a regular time spot, understanding your ideal schedule. And obviously it's not going to be the most ideal in the beginning because they're probably going to do more evenings than they want to. Um, But after they have a first appointment, getting somebody in a weekly or biweekly spot And that's how they're going to build their caseload. So every week they're not having to be like, who am I seeing? Oh, I didn't schedule this person. Like that is the thing we're always working on with people. And then we'll have sometimes where they see four clients in a row and they're like, ah, I'm never doing that again. And it's like, (laughs) yep, you can only do that once. And then, you know, you need a break after two to three. Um, So we let them go through it, but we also do it in a container. Yeah, that's really helpful. I imagine most of that is probably initiated worked through in the first 90 ish days. What about the rest of the year to get them to their like one year anniversary of being a clinician at your practice? Yes. So the rest of the year really is about getting their caseload fully up and then helping them maintain. So what happens usually is people tend to sit around 16 to 18 for a long time. I don't know what it is. And then through them doing deeper work and learning more and just like getting their feet under them, they'll eventually bump up over the 20, which is where we want them and then helping them maintain it. So it is a process. It's not super efficient. We're not like in 30 days, you'll be up to 20 and maintaining. Um, Sometimes that can happen if we're super busy or like we're micromanaging somebody's schedule, but 
what we really want to do is have a ramp up period for people so that they don't get burnt out. And also we want them to just be in process and for them to know it's the long game. And if we speed that up, sometimes that what goes up fast must come down fast. And so if we help people build a tolerance for a full caseload, that's really the best way. And that might mean the company is a little bit less profitable for a minute, but usually because our industry is pretty safe as far as we pay people for the time spent working, really it's nothing in the long term. If you bring someone on and things are checking out, they're getting clients, they're hitting towards that like almost full capacity and you loved it and want to keep growing, what does that process look like? Yes. So that usually happens unless shit just totally hits the fan. Um, People are always pleasantly surprised. I don't want to say always. Everybody has different experiences, but people are often pleasantly surprised like wow i did that thing my person's doing it that's so good and then they wonder like when they should bring on the next one and a general rule of thumb is when somebody's 75 percent full because it takes that nine to 12 weeks of onboarding and getting somebody going like really that's when you can start thinking about like are you gonna post that job again and rinse and repeat and i say rinse and repeat lightly because every time it's a little different and then the dynamic is gonna change when you bring in another person if you go from two to three And it changes every time you grow as an organization. So it's just knowing that 75% full mark can be when you start thinking about that. Okay. If you could give a little TLDR of this part three, bringing someone on, having them be in your practice for the first 90 days, words of wisdom to the new group practice owner, what would it be? Have clarity with the person you brought on. Have a lot of conversations, open communication, continuing reinforcing expectations on all sides and letting somebody just be in process. And I like to personally just write off the first year, the first six months, especially, and just let it be kind of a wash and knowing that people need to go through that. And then from there, they should build beautifully. That's the most peaceful way to do it for me. And I've gone through this 14 times now. So that's how I like to categorize it in my head. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your insight and Next part, we're going to talk about the vision of your group practice. How big do you want to grow? Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the pod on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review, share with a business bestie, and check out our website at weightinclusiveinnovators.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.